Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. On one occasion, while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the crowd pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into the boat belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. And, sitting down, he taught the people from the boat. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we have worked hard all night without catching anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Go away from me, Lord, he said, for I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Do not be afraid, Jesus said to Simon. From now on, you will catch men. And when they had brought their boats ashore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, uh, everybody from uh, Paul and Jen Brink's house. They uh, conveniently uh, left town and skipped up to Canada while we had this blizzard here. So we enjoyed the use of their home and uh, connecting our two dogs uh, while they were uh, away and uh, made a little path for them to run in the yard with about I don't know, 15 or 20 inches of snow out here. And uh, we're grateful that they phoned one of their neighbors to help get us out of the uh, the driveway uh, so that we could actually move our cars as well. So um, anyway, we're uh, glad to be here. Uh, glad to be with you this morning. <clears throat> um, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a reading of C.S. Lewis's last sermon. And he begins by saying, when a layman has to preach a sermon, I think he's most likely to be useful or even interesting if he starts exactly from where he is himself, not so much presuming to instruct as comparing notes. And so I appreciate you allowing me some time here to compare my notes with you this morning. Uh, and I might even cheat a little by sharing some more of Lewis's notes later on in the sermon. Uh, but uh, I've had to read a number of books on leadership in my studies over the year. And Rob Antonucci will attest uh, that in one of our residencies alone, we were required to read over 3,000 pages on leadership. Uh, I can't say that I can re recall many specifics from these readings, uh, but when asked to preach a sermon on Jesus' leadership, I did remember a small book from my undergrad years by Henry Nowen called In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership. Uh, and for those of you that don't know Henry Nouwen, he was a Dutch Catholic priest who taught at schools like Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame before he found a calling to serve as pastor for people with developmental disabilities. Uh, and it's out of his later life calling that he wrote several books like In the Name of Jesus. And reading it this past month again, I think I remembered the book for two reasons. Uh, first, because it's short uh, and it has big text. So it's probably a book that I actually finished in my studies. Um, and uh, second, because 
it introduced a wide, wildly different paradigm about the nature of, of leadership based on the example of Jesus. Uh, so here's some of Henry Nouwen's words on this when speaking about Christ, Christian leadership to a group of Christian leaders. He says, my movement from Harvard to this new community uh, made me aware that in a, in a new way, how my own thinking about Christian leadership had been affected by the desire to be relevant, the desire for popularity, and the desire for power. And too often I looked at being relevant, popular, and powerful as ingredients to an effective ministry. The truth, however, is that these are not vocations, but temptations. And later, elsewhere he says, I'm deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. That is the way of Jesus. That is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. The great message that we have to have to carry as ministers of God's word and followers of Jesus is that God loves us, not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as the true source of all human life. So there's a lot to unpack in this statement and even some words like completely irrelevant that make me pause and think hard uh, about the extent to which they are true. But as the saying goes, if you think you're a leader and you turn around and no one is following you, then you're simply out for a walk. So when we think about leaders, we naturally judge them based on their followers and about what direction their followers are going. Uh, so too, we consider the leadership of Jesus, not just by looking at his example, which we will say, but also by looking at those who follow him. Uh, Richard Foster says at the beginning of Celebration of Discipline that the world is hungry for changed people. Isn't that a powerful statement that the world is hungry for changed people. And in our passage today, Simon Peter is changed by Jesus. And I don't think this is just a story for him. The story of following Jesus is one that every one of us can enter into. Uh, Jesus leads Peter first by asking him to be a part, then by inviting him to take, take a step, and then by calling him into the greater purpose. And we see that Jesus simultaneously moves in his life from being a stranger to being master to being Lord. So the leadership paradigm as Jesus, of Jesus, as Luke tells it, actually begins long before this passage. And David and Kyle preached over the past few weeks on some of these big and miraculous things that Jesus does at the start of his ministry, such as healing and casting out demons. <clears throat> I think if you look carefully at the small and sometimes unnoticed exemplary patterns of his life, uh, you might start to see some of the foundations of his leadership, uh, even beyond these big, big uh, uh, acts. So in, in Luke 3 and 4 alone, we see that uh, at his, in his baptism, he's in prayer to the Father when the Holy Spirit descends on him. Um, he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness to fast. So he's fasting as he's uh, being tempted in the wilderness. He has the word of God stored in his mind and his heart, ready to resist the devil's temptation. He's observing the Sabbath. Uh, and Luke says that uh, he, he went to the synagogue uh, as was his custom. Um, he teaches with authority and integrity, speaking truth, both when he's being praised and when people are seeking to kill him. Uh, and he's attentive and compassionate uh, when he heads to Peter's house uh, to heal his mother. 
So in, in, in his life habits, Jesus is so in step with the will of God that elsewhere he, he even says, that, I tell you the truth, that the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. And so our scene starts in chapter 5 with people crowding around Jesus and listening to the word of God. And we understand that this isn't the start of Jesus' interaction with the crowd or even with Peter. Uh, they'd be, they've been listening and studying and watching his life until this point. Uh, and Peter even calls Jesus master, indicating that, that by the time of this passage, he already has moved from this less familiar teacher to a closer relationship as a follower, a kind of a follower of Jesus. Uh, Mary and I recently resubscribed to Netflix uh, so that we could watch a particular show together called Death in Paradise that we really enjoy. It's a BBC show. Uh, and we soon found out that it wasn't even offered on Netflix anymore, which, unfortunately. Uh, but in my weakness, I found, already found myself binge watching several new movies and TV series on, on the service. And what's interesting to see is how many shows uh, want to deal with questions of faith and the supernatural. Uh, and it's almost uh, consistent in these shows that our culture would like us to believe that a blind step away from rationality is required for us to let go and reach this mystical place called faith. Uh, and these shows even cite passages like this one in Luke to reinforce their point. Uh, however, I think when we get to this place in this account where Peter makes his decision to cast his net once again as Jesus requests, it's important to understand that this is not some kind of blind leap of faith. Uh, no, this is Peter carefully considering who this request is coming from. Uh, he's already begun to know who Jesus is by carefully watching, listening, and even responding to Jesus' request, like putting the boat out in the water. Uh, and, and in small ways, he's putting Jesus' word into practice and finding uh, truth in them. And uh, I think in one sense, we can say Peter's already begun the process of, of thinking about apprenticing himself to the leadership of Jesus by following his example. But when Jesus asked Peter to cast his net to the other side, he's going much deeper here. Uh, Jesus has moved beyond just teaching him the word of God from, the, from a distance or asking for things like his use of the boat. Jesus is getting to the very heart of his identity as a fisherman, uh, and he's asking for Peter to follow him. Uh, so I, I want you to imagine this situation here for yourself. Think of your area of professional responsibility. Uh, imagine working tirelessly for days or overnight trying to work in a difficult task that involves your years of developed skill and some elements that are simply outside of your control uh, and just, just feeling like I, I can't, can't get this. Uh, and then this carpenter comes along and says, hey, why don't you just try this? I'm going to guess that unless your profession is carpentry, you might be a little bit incredulous or maybe a little even incensed uh, by this request. Uh, but something radical happens for Simon Peter in that Jesus shows up with authority, power, and knowledge in this area of his life, this corner of his life that he wasn't necessarily expecting. And one commentator says that Simon's response to the power and knowledge of Jesus is not a fisherman's response. Uh, that is, he did not say, uh, why did I not know where the fish were? Rather, his response is that of a human being in the presence of the one he now calls Lord. Simon's skill is not the issue. The issue is his life. So my question, I think, for us today is, do we see, do we see and do we serve a Jesus with this kind of knowledge and authority? Uh, do, or does our understanding of, of knowledge find find a ceiling in the experts and the best opinions of the day only 
Uh, I see Jesus is not less than these this expertise that we find or the skills we've required. He's more than these things. And when we encounter Jesus filled with this knowledge, we understand that he is the one to follow, not only in our careers, but with our whole lives. Uh, and this is not about summoning a magic genie to help you catch fish or teaching your unteachable student or landing your most difficult account or powering through a physically exhausting day. It's offering your whole self your whole life to the Lord, who not only knows fishing and teaching and business and skilled labor, uh, but the one who is Lord over them all and, and, and is Lord over the very last details of your life. And he was calling you to submit all of these things to be a part of this bigger mission. C.S. Lewis says this much better than I can in, this, in the final sermon that I alluded to at the beginning. Uh, he talks plainly about our inward desire to hold on to particular areas of our ordinary life that Jesus does not get authority over. He says, for it's not so much of our time and so much of our attention that God demands. It's not even all our time. It is ourselves. He will be infinitely merciful to our repeated failures, but I know no promise that he will accept a deliberate compromise. What must exist only as an undefeated but daily resisted enemy is the idea of something that is our own on which God has no claim. For he claims all because he, he is love and must bless. He cannot bless unless he has us. And when we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of death. Therefore, in love, he claims all, and there is no bargaining with him. So here's where I get real with you and where, I, where we can compare notes. Uh, I also love keeping these places in my heart and life where Jesus doesn't have authority. Uh, places where that falsely promise to be places of rest, where I can take a break from the habits of life in Jesus to live life my own way, the way I want to. And sometimes it's excessive entertainment or food, other times pulling away from personal time with the Lord or fellowship with other believers. Uh, still other times I ignore the Spirit's prompting the acts of service or generosity. But in the end, all of these places do not lead to the rest that I, I seek, but to captivity and stagnancy. And in his love, I think this passage is about Jesus breaking into one of these strongholds for Peter. And as Jesus gently leads, he does this by invitation. And Peter's response is obedience. And then he says, but because you say so, I will let down the net. And as Christ begins to fill this once closed place of his vocation with his presence, we see Peter's response as one of brokenness and confession. He almost sounds like Isaiah here uh, in, in, in the way he responds uh, to Jesus uh, and his lordship. He, so, and to give some reassurances, I think, you know, the book of John records that Peter had to learn this lesson again in life with almost the same scenario once again. You know, some some people think it's the same uh, uh, passage kind of retold differently. Uh, I, I think that the situations, the scenarios presented uh, clearly show these are two different uh, uh, things going on. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, he also has another moment where he's throwing the nets over the side, having a, a, a another big haul. Uh, so I think that should give us a little bit of reassurance that there is this sense that God is repeatedly um, uh, uh, ready to forgive us and ready to draw us back in. Uh, but it's worth reading John 21 this week to see if you can glean uh, some of the, the other, other things from this second transformative encounter. So you see, 
God's mission as a leader uh, is that he wants to set us free. And he does that by inviting us to actively surrender every part of our lives to him so that he can replace our old selves and habits with a new self that's filled with the spirit. Uh, and just as he just as he is in this passages uh, where, where these miracles are occurring and signs and wonders, uh, you know, they're, they're because of his, his life filled in the spirit. Um, and, and this life is overflowing with, with things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And the like, we can go on with the fruits of the spirit uh, that are part of our lives when we when we surrender, and and that's the kind of freedom. Uh, that's the kind of freedom that we're talking about here in in our church, uh, in the Christian life. Uh, and he proclaimed this mission clearly, even in the pr- previous chapter in Luke four, when he said, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And his mission doesn't stop with freeing us. He actually calls us to be people who announce this opportunity of freedom to others, uh, becoming fishers of men, as Luke puts it. Uh, Jesus could have just had Peter catch a normal load of fish, and that probably would have been enough to demonstrate his power here. But in a beautiful way, we see that this hull of fish is enormous. And Jesus uses this moment to tell Peter that when you follow me with your whole self, you'll be involved in this kind of multiplication and seeing others released to freedom the way that you have been. Uh, And so I think we see this principle in our lives in action most clearly when we see people who are struggling with addiction, uh, who release themselves fully into the process of healing through resources like AA and NA and Celebrate Recovery. And as they begin to expose these once dark places and find freedom, there's this natural way in which their freedom becomes open and a beacon and light for others. And their freedom becomes contagious, even those who didn't have the same addictions to start with. Uh, We've even seen this in and among our own church community. So so again, uh, the world is hungry for changed people. Uh, And I think the question that you and I can ask ourselves and one another uh, even today, is what areas of life, in what areas of our lives are we not changed? Uh, where are we not letting Jesus lead? And when we apprentice ourselves to Jesus and he begins to change us in these areas, I'm confident that the result will be the natural sharing of our freedom with others. Uh, and, and they will notice and wonder, who is this Jesus that made you new? And how do I also follow his lead? Let me pray for us. Father, these are um, uh, uh, big concepts. They're 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 uh, uh, filled with uh, things that cause us to uh, move towards repentance, uh, towards joy, and towards freedom. And uh, and we pray for North Point, uh, Lord, that you would uh, take these words, take take your, the words that you bring us uh, through this passage, and just instill them into our lives, Lord. Uh, where there's places where we might need to be confessing to one another. Uh, Give us the boldness to do that, Lord. Uh, and in places where uh, we just need to open up uh, places in our lives that we've held hidden from you, Lord, I pray that you give us the strength uh, to say yes in, in obedience. Um, Lord, for those places we don't even know, I, I just ask that you teach us uh, through your example just how to follow you uh, so that we begin uh, having the Spirit prompt our, our hearts in these various ways, Lord. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together uh, and just ask that you would bless us uh, here at North Point so that we can be a blessing to others. And then we pray. Amen.